Good morning. Oh, it's on. Yay. Um, I decided in preparing for this that I am such a female because I'm not a girly girl, but I definitely am a female because I went through so much scripture, I could speak 20,000 words to you guys this morning. And I narrowed it down to 10,000, and we probably only have time for 5,000. <laughs> so so um, this is the way it's going to happen. Whatever God brings out of this today is what was meant to be, because I have all these thoughts rumbling through my head. So I want to say to you, and I'm going to read it from something that stays on my kitchen window, and it has spaghetti and lasagna and numerous other meals attached to it. But it's Isaiah 25.1. Oh, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will exalt you. There's an emphasis there that I have to make. And praise your name for in perfect faithfulness. Perfect faithfulness. You have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. I have walked... I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I never was a girl that liked to dive into the pool. I'm an ease into the pool kind of gal. So for the first month that I knew that I was going to talk about this, I walked around the pool of faithfulness. <laughs> I just walked around the pool and kept walking around it. And then I eased into the pool, and finally I went into the deep water. And so for right now... There are some of you who have been walking around the pool of faithfulness for a long time, and some of you have been swimming in much deeper waters of the pool of faithfulness than I ever have or ever will. And some of us may still be at the end of the pool where we're kind of easing into it, and it's, you know, it's right when it gets about right here <laughs> that, that it's really hard to just go ahead and make that plunge into it. So this morning... I want to invite you to come with me into the pool of faithfulness because he is faithful and he can be trusted and he is good. And I am a testimony to that. But more importantly, his word is a testimony to that. So let's ease on into the pool. And y'all are going to see my little uh, high school teacherishness come out here because I'm not just going to let you sit and listen. <laughs> so here is the first thing that we're going to do. I'm going to walk around, and I'm not going to point out at anybody, I promise, because I don't do that in class either. But I have a few questions that I want us to think through, because as my husband and I have chatted about this, I have realized how we don't get it. We don't get God's faithfulness, because we are so looking out this way and not this way. We're so looking at our circumstance and not at God's word. So let's put all our churchiness aside for a minute, and I don't even want you to think about God and his faithfulness. I'm just going to throw out the word, what is faithfulness? And I want you to just say what comes to your mind. What comes to your mind? Just throw out some words. No. Continuous. Steadfast. Reliable. 
integrity, honesty, keeping promises. What was that? Trustworthiness. Yes, without wavering. No matter what. Always counting on. Nearness. Ooh, good. That was good. All right. Who or what relationships come to your mind when you hear the word faithfulness? Pardon? God. Okay. Others? Husband. Ooh. We, we got to go there first. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who else? Parents. Faithfulness. Who or what comes to what relationship? Friends. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Sister. Sister. Siblings. Anybody else? How about church? Church. Think, think of the word, um, the elders remaining faithful to the vision of the church. Think of in cooking, um, she is being faithful to the original recipe as it was intended. Of course, there are some of us who probably aren't very faithful and we just dump in stuff, which is my MO. Okay, what about when? You're thinking about the who. What about when? When do we need to be faithful? Or when in these situations, these people that you've named, when is faithfulness needed? Pardon? In tough times, times, crises. Mm -hmm. Every day. day. (laughs) Who else? Say it louder. When a promise is made. made. Mm -hmm. In crises, in sickness. Nobody said the big one that always comes to our mind. Mm -hmm. In In little things. Okay, somebody said husbands a while ago. That's the one that always comes to our mind. Nobody said it. Somebody say it. In marriage, fidelity, faithfulness sexually. Emotionally, faithfulness emotionally in emotional times. Emotional entanglement with someone else in marriage. Dependable to our list of definitions. What about um, situations? I, I heard a lot of you say friendships. What about situations like gossip, talking about someone? There's a need for faithfulness. In that case, maybe we take it as loyalty, but it's true faithfulness to the friendship. So, how do you judge if someone is faithful? How do you judge that? I think of all the people that we've talked about. Family, friends, church, husbands, children, parents, all this. Mm -hmm. Past behavior, the history. How else do we judge it? Consistent behavior. Ah, consistent behavior.
Excellent. If they let you down, we immediately judge you're not faithful. We're on our guard, aren't we? We are immediately on our guard. So what is the result of broken promises, of broken commitments, of unfaithfulness? What happens? Lack of trust. Lack of trust. Broken relationships. Hindered relationships. Who else? What's the result of broken promises? There are no right answers here. It's all thoughts. Anger. Resentment. Fear. Not just distance, but an active emotion. Anger. Fear. Resentment. Self-doubt. Inward emotion. Yes. Yes, so it affects the rest of our relationships. We have that guard up. We are not going to let it happen again. Well, what happens is that this does expand to other areas, this mistrust. And there's a problem that we have. Let's see if this is going to, yep. With our view of faithfulness. We judge God's faithfulness by what we want him to do. So we are engaged in relationships with other people. Some of them, they have been faithful to us. Some of them, they have not. So we come into our relationship with God carrying, if you will, our conceptions of what faithfulness is. And so... We come about judging God's faithfulness with the definition that we've brought into the relationship with him. And because we're human, we ask him to do what we want him to do. And when he doesn't do what we want him to do, when the answer is sometimes no, wait, or perhaps even silence for a while. We, fe- we feel there's a silence. We rail against God. We, I, I have heard people say, I asked God this and he has not answered. And I am telling him, if he's a faithful God, he better do this. <laughs> and those things are said in all seriousness. And we may not say them, but we think them. (laughs) And they're in our nature to think them. Trust issues can come from many different angles. And some of us have more trust issues than others. And I want to keep saying my premise, the supposition that I have based on God's word, he is faithful, he can be trusted, he is good. All three of those tied together. But, for example, if you have come from a broken home and it was because dad was not faithful, there are issues with that. I have trust issues. I came from a great home that there was no brokenness to it. 
But I worked in a um, church situation from middle school through college in an after-school program, taught music some of those years, but, but in the after-school program the whole time. And one of the people that I was working with was leaving me to go and have an affair on the church property. And it was a person of authority. And I babysat also for this coworker. And there was another affair with the woman that I played the piano. She played the organ and I played the piano. And I was a teenager. And when this all came, I knew something was not right. I, I just had that sense. When this all came out to light, it shook my world. Because I wasn't, it wasn't way far away. I was smack dab in the middle of it. I was babysitting. I was working alongside. I was playing alongside. And it shook my world in terms of my own trust. And so... My trust issues come out all the time. For example, this morning, I brought extra sheets of these papers in case the computer didn't work and things weren't able to be printed. And I brought a flash drive in case the email didn't go through and we weren't able to have a PowerPoint. And there are all kinds of ways that my own, you know, trusting technology, trusting people, well, is she going to come through? Maybe I should bring extra because maybe she's not going to come through with that. It comes out in all ways, and I have had so many opportunities to work through that. But you know what? God has redeemed that in me, and I can laugh at it, and I can play it out sometimes and go, oh, yeah, I know where that's coming from. I have a very patient husband who has helped me in being extremely loyal and faithful and committed and steadfast. Um, and, and he knows where those issues come from. So we all have trust issues coming at us in different ways, sometimes small, little, tiny ways. So from our human position, trust in God is a learned thing. And now what I mean by that is I'm not saying anything about his trustworthiness. I'm talking about us learning to trust him. But there's a problem with that. I put it in the problem category. And the reason is, is because when we are trusting in the faithfulness of someone, we are doing exactly what our conversation earlier said. That is, we are basing it on their history. And there's a problem with us being in a position to judge God's faithfulness. We can um, relish it. We can, we can rest in it. We can be firm on it. But it is not ours to judge. We can even repeat and recount how he has been faithful but we are not the judge of his faithfulness. And we're going to get to why that is in just a moment. If someone here has been through a hardship, um, through a sickness, and the answer that God has is no, I'm not going to heal you or wait does that make him less faithful? You see, our definition already 
is not working. Because we have said that in our human system of thinking, that faithfulness means commitment and steadfastness. Well, what if we feel alone in the moment? Do my feelings then dictate that God is not being faithful? You see, I'm bringing us back to the the lack of logic that our emotions bring up in us when it comes to understanding God's faithfulness. And I want to bring us to a higher point here. So we're going to go to the deep end of the pool. Maybe. Okay. Click. There we go. Okay. Did we do it? Yep. The biblical version, if you will, of faithfulness presupposes that God is good. So there is a breadth and a broadness of God's faithfulness, and I'm going to lump goodness in there. My husband and I were walking on Sunday, and so I was playing the devil's advocate, and we were having this conversation about faithfulness. And I said, well... You know, after we had kind of gone through the whole thing that you and I just went through with the definition, I said, well, with that definition, Satan is faithful. He is faithful and steadfast and committed and continual to pursue us and dog us and nail us and hammer us and make us feel guilty. And we just kind of looked at each other and Ned said, no, because the word faithfulness itself means inherent goodness is involved in that. So let's take that word faithfulness, and we have to include that word goodness with it. But there's another word, two words, that we will be studying, or you all will be studying, truth. God is truth. He is truth. He is powerful, omnipotent. He is sovereign. That's wrapped up in that. And so, as I have um, pictured this, y'all just have to keep following me because I just move all over the place. Um, As I have pictured this and thinking about what you guys are studying, sorry, I had a piece of tape that fell off of here. This is how I pictured the promises of God. Now, his goodness... His truth, he is truth, his power and his sovereignty, and his faithfulness are all like the umbrella. We'll see if I can get this to stay here. The umbrella that cover over the other promises that you are studying, his mercy and his forgiveness are found under these. His love, he is love. Eternal life and victory. And the one you've already studied, his presence, and I put in there from last time, even in suffering, his presence. So if you take this visual 
This is God's character. It is his nature. These are the things that he has given you that come out of his nature. Their very essence is protected by his nature, and hence the example of the umbrella. There's an interesting thing, though, about the word faithfulness. It is different than the word faithful. Faithfulness is a noun. It is a person, place, thing, or idea. Faithful is an adjective. It's describing something. He's a faithful dog. This is a faithful car. God has faithfulness. He is faithfulness. It is part of his very character. And he is faithful in himself and to himself. And when I started getting hold of that, instead of just seeing faithfulness as an attribute or or a characteristic of God, and I began to see it as who he is, my thoughts went to Paul. The Apostle Paul, all through his epistles, he wrote about what's called ontology. And it, what it means is it's the state of being of something. Think of your state of being verbs. Am, is, are, was, were, be, being, been, has, have, had, can, could, shall, should, will, would. <laughs> so anyway, but am, is, are, was, word. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Think about it. I am that I am, he said to Moses. He is faithful. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. He is faithful to himself. He is the standard to himself. It all is coming back to him. Every definition of who he is, he's the standard not our definitions. You see, this will keep us out of the hot water of railing against God, but it will also keep us out of that distancing ourselves from God. Anger, the things that we talked about a few minutes ago that are characteristics of when someone or something is unfaithful to us. So it's important to let these soak in God is also faithful in his nature. Let's turn to Exodus 34, 6. And for a couple of minutes, we are going to um, be moving around a little bit. And this is the Lord giving Moses the Ten Commandments. It says, and he passed in front of, well, let me start with verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Do you hear the power in that? He proclaimed his own name. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, this is God speaking, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God proclaimed himself to 
himself, revealing it to Moses, and it is in his nature to do so. Look at Deuteronomy 7 at what he said. Verses 8 and 9. Let's start at verse 7. This is what he is commanding the Israelites. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest peoples of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore, now here it comes to the words that all of Israel, you know, would, would not even, they said Yahweh, they took the vowels out, or well, there are no vowels, but they would not even say all of the word because it was so holy. The Lord, your God, is God. Do you notice the state of being verb there? Is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God is faithful to his own name and character. We have had um, many opportunities in our family to see the faithfulness of God. And they are too numerous to count. And as we have talked about it, we, uh, Ned and I see it in different ways. Um, there are some things, some situations where he says, oh yeah, I really saw God's faithfulness here. And I'm like, oh no, I really saw it here. But through years of infertility, um, going through treatment for that, not being able to ha have children naturally, going through adoption, some very miraculous, I mean literally, miraculous adoptions through which we did nothing. Um, God brought them to us, literally brought them to us. Um, I had breast cancer. Ned had colon cancer. We've had three out of four parents um, go to heaven. Parenting issues. I would say out of all those things that I just named, what I saw was a progression in coming to understand a little bit more, crack in the door more of God's faithfulness with each thing that I went through. It's like it opened a tiny bit more each time. And I saw through that whole thing with adoption and infertility that God was faithful whenever I was crying and asking him, asking him so strongly for a family to be added to our family that we already were. And God showed me that there was nothing that I could do to enlarge that family and that he was in charge of the process. But if he had said no, 
would he still not have been a faithful God? You see, the faithfulness does not come in the yes answer. The faithfulness comes in the who he is and resting in it. When it came to cancer, having no control over your own body, having no control over your husband's body, and letting that go to God and coming to a place of being able to trust him and say, he is good. If I go to heaven, he is good. If he goes to heaven, he is good. If these children are raised by someone else, he is good. He is trustworthy. He is faithfulness, is, not has. It's not something that he picks up and has. He is faithfulness. The one that was the hardest was in the parenting issues because no longer did it have anything to do with my body, my brain, my heart. It had to do with somebody else's brain, body, and heart. Your children's and their decisions and choices. And that was the one where the door maybe went open four times wider than what it had in the other times. Because there was a letting go of all these things that I desired for the children in my life, but not being able to control any part of it. Before, you know, I could decide to go and pray for my cancer or Ned's cancer. But this was going to pray for someone else to pray. You see what I'm saying? There's a huge step of faithfulness of God in that. And there's a huge step of faith. And that leads me to say that our faith does not control God's faithfulness. Now, there is an aspect, if you've ever seen Michelangelo's work of God and Adam and the reaching out to touch Adam, and I think it's about this far in distance from Adam's fingers reaching up, and it's beautiful. I actually tried to download something and I couldn't. Faith and faithfulness are sort of like that. Adam's not controlling. He's not grabbing God's power <laughs> and bringing it in. He's just there. He's reaching in that picture. This, I'm not giving you the scenario of what happened in the Garden of Eden. But God is the one with the power, and he's reaching out. Our faith reaches towards. So there's a companionship. Have you ever seen a piece of antique furniture and how the... the um, we used to redo a lot of antique furniture because we had no money. <laughs> and so that's what the, the furniture we have is mostly from those days. But the, the drawers dovetail together like this, and it makes them very, very strong, much stronger than the staples and glue that are used today. Though my children still think that the newer stuff has to be better. So in the dovetailing of God's faithfulness and our faith, we receive an opportunity to see him at work because our hand, we're reaching our hands. He's reaching his hand 
in faithfulness who he is and we're reaching out in faith. There's a companionship there that though we are studying the promises of God, I want you to see the companionship with that. So, as I prayed through this, it just came to me, the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I began to, I read the story about the man who wrote the words and how he really was a nobody. I mean, he, was, he ended up being like an insurance salesman in New Jersey. Um, he wanted to go into the ministry and his health became very bad right away. He ended up writing about a thousand poems that you will never hear because there, nothing ever came of them. But at some point in his adult life, he sent this poem to a friend who also wrote music. The friend played it at Moody Bible Institute for a chapel. Billy Graham was at Moody Bible Institute. George Beverly Shea came to sing uh, for a chapel. And the friend said, would you sing this song, Great is Thy Faithfulness? And he did. And Billy Graham loved that song. And so when the Billy Graham Crusades began, this song written by this man who you would never hear of or read anything ever that he wrote again became famous worldwide. But it has been powerful in my life. And so as we are looking at this today, I want to use verse 1 and turn to James 1.17. Because this is the passage that he wrote the first verse of the hymn standing on. This passage is talking about when we're tempted and how sin can drag us away and entice us. And it only leads to death. But then James goes on and says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So look at the words, To great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As you have been forever, you will be. So there is no shadow of turning with thee. All of God's attributes operate in conjunction with each other. They're never in isolation with each other. So when you talk about him being all-powerful, self-sufficient, he is love, unchangeable, ever-present, all-knowing. These are all working together with each other, and they are unlimited, and they are constant. I want to read to you Psalm 36, 5 real quickly. It says, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies, your righteousness is like the mighty mountains and your justice like the great deep. 
And then I'm going to flip over to uh, Psalm 119, verses 89 and 90. It says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established, you established the earth, and it endures. So his faithfulness is coming out of truth, and it's coming out of goodness. And I found this really, really neat that the Old Testament word for truth is the same root as the word firmness and stability. Now, in Psalms, what is it that um, many times David would use as an example that we can consider God to be like? It was a, a, a synonym for God. A rock, exactly. And that word for truth is the same as firmness, stability, like a rock. And that is God's faithfulness to us. And this is what I would say to you. If something is true, then it is trustworthy. Because think true. If, you're, um, if you think of a thing as being, what are some words? True blue, true to uh, its nature, or true, uh, it's, it, there is a without blemishness to it. Uh, there's without crackness. Think of a jar. If it is true, there's a purity to it. True plumb, very good. If a wall is true to form or true to plumb, true to a line, like a plumb line. And we're doing carpentry stuff here. Yeah, where are our men when we need them? There, there, it is right, it is true, it is firm, it is steadfast. So all of those words, goodness, faithfulness, truth, all go together. So how does God reveal himself to us? So... If, if we can look at where we've been, we eased into the pool, we've gone to the deep end of the pool, that God is faithful in himself and to himself. He's faithful in his very attributes. And now what does he do? He reveals it in creation. And if you just would even take a look at a bunch of different passages, but Genesis 8.22, let me just read it real quick so y'all don't have to turn there. But Genesis 8.22 says, as long as the earth endures. Now, this is God speaking. You, you learned this as a child or your child learned it. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So God re reveals, even in the big picture of creation, how he is faithful. Not just that he does it, or that he has it, or that he dispenses it. He is faithfulness. So look at the second verse of the hymn. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness mercy, and love. He has revealed himself also throughout Israel's history. I mean, I, this is where I had difficulty. I had papers all over my dining room table, and it has like three leaves in it. 
Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. You just think about those guys. Rahab. I mean, just think about the faithfulness of God in all of those stories. But I love how Psalm 105, and later in the week I think I have you reading this, but how it takes Israel's history and puts it into one psalm so that Israel, it it says, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, sing to him, glory in his holy name, remember the wonders he has done. And then it goes on and it recalls the covenant that he made with Abraham, how he confirmed it to Jacob. He called down famine on the land and destroyed the supplies of food in Egypt because he was going to send Joseph, who was sold as a slave. And then it goes on and talks about how Egypt was in bondage, and he sent Moses and Aaron. They performed miraculous signs. Then it talks about the plagues, how he brought Israel out. He spread a cloud before them as a covering and a fire to give light at night. And at the end it says, For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing and his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations and they fell heir to what others had toiled for. Why? That they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. So in that great, great chapter of recounting God's faithfulness to Israel, I I was just so thankful because I began to go through, you know, there's that old hymn that says, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. And to go through and count your blessings, to count God's faithfulness, because it is a blessing, but to count, Lord, when you said no to me, you were faithful to me to do this. You were faithful to me to bring me this person to come alongside of me. Or Lord, you were faithful to me to comfort me. One of my biggest comforts in the biggest trials of my parenting life has been to get an old hymnal and to read through. And that's why the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, is so wonderful to me. Because to research, what what verses were those founded on? And then to be able to sing them back to God, to be able to sing to him, great is thy faithfulness. The revealing of God's faithfulness to us, as I see it, the ultimate evidence is in Jesus. It's to us. It really speaks to God's mercy when you read that verse of the hymn, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Pardon and peace. Thine own dear presence, it's our third P there, to cheer and to guide. And then it's what he gives us, strength for today and Bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. So even 10,000 more blessings. I think of Ann Voskamp's book whenever um, I sing that. 
This was foretold to David. I'm, I'm going to let you all read some of these uh, passages, but I just, I cannot help because it is such a blessing to think ahead to what's going to happen to read Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And this is John receiving the vision. And he says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Do you get that? His name is Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war, His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. His name is faithful and true, and it is the Word of God. So not only has God given us evidence of his faithfulness. Now remember, we are not the judge of it. His faithfulness is not based on his history. We see his history, and that gives us comfort. But his faithfulness is based on who he is. But he is working not only to us, but he is also working in us. Personally, have you experienced his faithfulness personally? Is this a distant word that describes him in your spiritual vocabulary? Or have you experienced it? Is it something that you could proclaim to someone else? Look at what he's given us. I just made a brief list. I mean, this is so not encompassing what he has, has worked in us personally through his faithfulness. But his faithfulness, his character faithfulness, directly has a link to each one of these, to his pardon and forgiveness to us, to his giving of his spirit, his equipping with his word, his availability for us to communicate with him. Even the ability, he created, and I I love this this year in in psychology, we're talking about heart, mind, soul. What are the differences in those? What is our will? What What is a biological function? And how did God make that? And why did he make that? But look at this. He created us with a will so that we could, and he instructs us to do this all the time in scripture, turn from Satan and flee from him. He, cre- he was faithful, or rather, I should say, in his faithfulness, he did that for us. He is always providing a way of escape. He is always sustaining us, and he is never negated by our own unfaithfulness. Aren't you so glad to know that? That my unfaithfulness does not turn his button He has no button of faithfulness. So when we 
fail, he has that great love and compassion that leads us to hope. And that leads us to our last verse, or rather to the chorus. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let's turn to Lamentations. It's right before Ezekiel. It's after Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, then Lamentations. 3, 21 through 23. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That is the verse he received that chorus, the inspiration for that chorus from. So our response is that, as I was saying earlier, our faith does not make God have more faithfulness. But there is a connection. Our faith is like if I had a mirror up here angled at that umbrella and the word faithfulness. And that mirror was shooting out to you guys. Then I had one over there, and it was shooting out to you guys. Our faith in God is a reflection of God's faithfulness to the world. We proclaim him by our faith. We don't establish him. He is already established. But we are that mirror. People look at creation, and they, see, they can see God's works. They can see his faithfulness in his attributes. They can look at us and see God at work as we reflect who he is. And I'm saying that very slowly because I need to let it sink in. Um, where's my little book? There are many um, castles in Europe, and many are from medieval times. Some of them even like 5th century B.C. And in medieval times, what would happen is all of the people would be outside the castle. Their homes were outside. They were working. They were doing the work of the king outside the castle. But the enemy would come, and they would have to get inside the refuge of those castle walls in order to be safe. And Proverbs, there are many passages that uh, I've written down only three, but Proverbs 18.10 says, and it's referring exactly to that kind of scenario, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. 
I encourage you today that if you are in a Daniel and the lion's den kind of experience, um, if you are standing at the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming behind you and you feel like the enemy's pursuing you, or maybe you're in the boat and Jesus is walking on the water and he's saying, get out of the boat, come on to me, come on, you can walk on the water. No matter what your experience, if you have the faith to step out, God's faithfulness will give you a front row seat to view what he's about to do in your life. I cry because it, it brings up so many um, times in my own life when that's what was needed. That's what I need to do. I need to step out of the boat in faith, whatever it is that he's asking you to do. Because if you're in his word, he is faithful, and he's working in your life. And that's a promise that you can depend on and that you can believe. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you that you are good. That we can trust you. We can trust you with our marriages, with our kids, with our jobs, with our friendships. Because you have our best interest in mind, but you're working in other people's lives too. And you're holding the world together. And Father, you are the quintessential faithfulness. And so, Lord God, it just follows that we would praise you, that we would bow down to you and worship you for your name, for your very name itself holds all of these attributes. So, Father, I pray that our response to hearing about the immensity and the broadness of your faithfulness would be to have faith in who you are, not just who we want you to be. I pray, Father, for each woman here. I pray that if, if you are working in her heart to help her to step out of the boat, to stretch her um, in, in whatever she's doing, or to comfort her, or to rescue her, Father, from a very difficult situation. I pray that your will would be done. So, Lord, we open our hands to you, not only in praise, but to relinquish what really is not ours to control anyway. I thank you for the freedom and the opportunity to meet here. I thank you for every lesson that has built up to this one and every one that will follow, Lord, that your promises will be lifted up and we would rejoice in them. In Jesus' name, amen.